This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the manly, manly, I repeat, Warthog Man Cave. Let me check my computer, see who's here. Plantation marks in class already. So is Ken Hillier. Well, that little nippy morning here in the pine uh, country of north central Florida. God's country, by golly. And a little nippy, but we enjoy it. Uh, we are, of course, um, uh, proceeding into what we might call our version of winter. I don't know what else to call it. I apologize to those of you who are farther north than we are. But this is what we get. Every once in a while, we gets down into freezing. Every once in a great while, colder than that. Well, here we are in the uh, manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Melvin Law Studio. A Melvin Law, the only, uh, it's a full service, legal service, by the way, law firm partner of the uh, University of Florida Fighting Gators. And of course, we're protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention and sponsored by Hornard Construction, uh, Casio, Allstate Insurance, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Cleaners, uh, Style Cuts, you name it. Good people, patronize them. Well, well, well. Let me see what's happening here. Um, <clears throat> had to take time out yesterday to get the old body checked out. Uh, we ran a, uh, uh, another show that we've done the fat in the past that I thought is really, really good. And that's our good friend, Bill Carr who talked about NIL and um, uh, all that business going on in college football right now. So we'll try to bring you up to date on that from time to time. That's a very good show. It's a classic. Uh, it's very seldom when we get a guy like Bill Carr, who's been the athletic director and a whole bit, really come in and spend an hour. He loves it too, because he doesn't get to speak much uh, very often for a full hour either. So that show we ran yesterday uh, as a best of, what we call a best of. Uh, hold on. And there are a lot of things going on, of course, uh, that um, I guess today's show really has a lot to do with the dilemma of education. Now, you got to remember, I was in education all my life. Entered in 1969 as a professor. Came out, I think, in 2000. I've lost track of that. Maybe 17. Uh, there you are. Pretty good time. So I know it really, really well. And, um, of course, I always viewed it as a wonderful opportunity to read and write and think and talk at a high level with very good people. Um, I was also at the high school level for a while. thought that was interesting, too. And in the coaching world, as you know, that was also interesting. Managed to make everything... Everywhere I went, hopefully, interesting, not just for me, but for others as well. 
And hopefully that's the way you view this show. Uh, try to do the best I can. Uh, it's kind of a, um, you know, a small town arrangement, if you will. We're not the big Fox News and all that. But we bring you some cutting edge stuff, I think. Locally, I'm pretty sure we probably do more in-depth stuff of local things than just about anybody you have an opportunity to tune into. And I've been looking uh, at Gainesville High, where I once worked. Um, a story there that is not an uncommon story. And that is, what do you do to get, I'm going to be candid. I mean, these are candid terms in the article. Uh, they're from the Gainesville Sunset. They're candid terms from my experience at Santa Fe College. Um, and I'll just, we'll, we'll talk about it. That is what to do with black students. And more importantly, what to do with black male students. And more importantly, how to reach them in high school. <clears throat> now let's begin at the beginning. If you talk to the preschool teachers and the elementary school teachers, they will tell you that the number one problem is already upon them by the time they meet the little children in preschool and first grade, etc. And what is it that is already stigmatized these kids to where they really may never be able to overcome it? Now, we're talking about, in preschool, kids three years old, four or five, kindergarten, then you're off in six, and you're already maybe got some problems right away that these teachers recognize but can't do much about. Now, you know, I'm a big fan of Jason Riley, black writer for the Wall Street Journal, and I want to start this investigation, if you will, a conversation with you about education with Jason Riley's column uh, last Wednesday uh, about what he calls the root cause of crime. Now, how is crime related to education? Well, if you're not going to make a living with what you learn in education, it follows that you have crime in some form or another. So, of course, Jason Riley doesn't mince words. He says the biggest root cause of crime is fatherlessness. Now, he says in his column here, that a decade ago, and that would have been about 2013, New York City launched a campaign to combat teen pregnancy. And it featured, and this is all part of the problem, because when teenagers have a child, 
going to go to school, right? At least for a while. Now, this campaign, Riley writes, featured ads on buses and subways. And by the way, those are not cheap. I have the rate card for them here. They, they cost quite a bit of money. So they featured ads on buses and subway cars at Red. If you finish high school, get a job and get married before having children, you have a 98% chance of not being in poverty. My problem with that ad, wrong people are reading it. The people who need to read it are on the bus. Right away, you have to ask yourself, if you're daring enough to criticize Jason Riley, or at least ask for another viewpoint, where would you put that ad? Think about it a minute. Where would you put that ad? For the one doing the impregnating and the one being impregnated. And can they read? I don't have an answer right off the top of my head about that. Where would you put that ad? I would put it, I think, now that I think about it, in one of the convenience stores right next to the potato chips, the junk food, that I'm sure is one of the lifestyle events in a person's life whom this ad is trying to reach. I'd stick it right there in the middle of Lay's potato chips or whatever junk they're picking or stealing. Because stealing is going to be part of their economy now. So I don't know. Maybe the subway, yeah, in New York. If you finish high school, get a job, and get married before having children, you have a 98% chance of not being in poverty. And that's a pretty liberal definition of poverty we have. Now, this became known as the success sequence. Brookings Institute, and that's where Heather McDonald works, the scholars there, Isabel Sawhill and Ron Haskins, they wrote a book called Agency. And they tried to lay out the steps that young people could follow if they were being raised by a young single parent. 
I don't know if that book's getting to the right people. That's going to get to the teachers, maybe. Michael Bloomberg was the mayor then. Now, the labor force participation, according to Riley, fell during the 1980s and the 1990s. The longest rate of sustained economic growth in U.S. history. And I believe a lot of that during Reagan. Those blacks who had family stability were able to participate in that. Well, you know the story. So now I look at this Gainesville Sunset article where in a I know the person who criticized it too kind of a constant how shall I say this politely me polite Critic, I guess let's put it that way, of just about anything that has a race card or some liberal part component. But there was a Gainesville High School club, as I'm reading it, run by a school board member's daughter. I believe it was McGraw. that hand-selected black male students and the club was called GAIN. Now, according to the article here, it's been the subject of a parent complaint. A parent complaint. Parents' names in the article. But approximately 30 black male students were chosen to be part of the discreet club to better prepare them for graduation, also being given statistics about how they are less likely to succeed. Let me give you what I know about that from being in education. Unlike the Asians... It is in the black culture conversations. Refute me if I'm wrong. That to get an education is to get whitey's education. That's what really has been the springboard for all this diversity, equity, and inclusion, all these different Interpretations of history. The 
the education system, conversation, the black culture, is that if you're black, you don't want it. It's white. And you're just going to be made white. As far as I know, it's the only culture that argues that. We know the Asians don't argue it. So what is going on here? Now, supposedly this has all been learned about through emails. The Gainesville High School principal, whom I don't know, wrote explicitly to a parent that, quote, underrepresented minority ninth grade males were invited to attend the first club game meeting. Three presentations for the club provided to the Sun all contain statistics about black males, including that five out of ten black males in their 20s with diplomas are jobless, and 72% of black male dropouts in their 20s are unemployed. Now, let, let me give you a couple different factors here locally that can influence this. The first time I ran for office, I went out to the Job Corps graduation the east side of town. And practically every graduate there was from the black culture. They had done what we asked them to do. I say we. We adults. Black and white. We had set up a job core training center. These students had gotten through it. I made a speech. Can't remember what I said. But Tony Jones told me when I sat down next to him after I gave the speech, Ward, you lit it up. You lit it up. And then I realized as I sat there, I lied to them. I lied to him. Not anything I did. But I told him, you've done your part. And then I realized that in Gainesville, Florida, we had not done our part. We had run off business. Well, you say, what do you mean you run off business? The no growth 
environmental factor of the local Democrat Party. None of that in the Republican Party. Trust me. And at that time, I was running as a Democrat. I was not being supported by the Democrats. They were supporting Byerly. I was running against Byerly in a primary. The Democrat Party wouldn't even look at me. Wouldn't even look at me. Because I was taking on their environmental darling. He wasn't even there at the job corps. Graduate. He wasn't even there. And I realized that we told him a big lie. And I told Tony, Tony, they did their part. We didn't do our part. What are we going to do, drive Ocala? Enough for them to do. I remember I was sitting at the table with a couple retired black lady high school teachers. Love them right away. Thanks, Tim. Martin, for the information he's given us right now. I knew that, and we'll take it up a little bit. I love these ladies. I could tell right away that they were the real deal. Two male students from the Job Corps deal came up to our table to get a pamphlet or retrieve paperwork or something of that nature. Their pants were low on their hips so that their underwear could be seen. The ladies looked at that. Did not say anything to the young men. But when they walked away, looked at each other and said, that should stop. They need to be told that ain't, that's not, that's not cool. But they didn't. And probably it wasn't a tactful moment to do it. You don't tell them then when they're at their graduation, I guess. Now, The issue is apparently by the disgruntled (laughs) critic, according to Tim Martin here, and I've heard this before, is a proxy for Tina Certain, who is at war with Dionne McGraw. And that ain't helping nothing. But the other part of this story that I want to share with you You know, I was a Senate president at Santa Fe College. And when Jackson Sasser got to be our president, 
he called me in for advice, as frequently he did. I said, Ward, what are we going to do about this dismal black graduate number at Santa Fe, particularly the black males? And we sat there and talked about it. And I said, you need examples that they will look up to. Some of them will look up to me, but I'm still not the guy to get involved in this. Because I'm a white guy. Now, the black kids that don't care about being black they just wanted to learn. I do, I do well with it. I do well with the others too, but that's not the one to lead it. We came up with a club called My Brother's Keeper. The black males that were doing well at the college, we got a hold of them and asked them if they would help us with this issue. They weren't all that much enthused about it now. Because they can be called names by the black males that aren't doing well. So that was a little tricky. Will you help us form a club called my brother's keeper. We did that. Unfortunately, I can't tell you how it turned out. I retired not too long after that and didn't keep particular track of it. But it's the same, same problem. The very same problem. We have plenty of athletes who serve as examples. Not all of them as good examples. But anyway, it's easier to find a kid from them, one of the teams that these young males were talking about, will look up to and want to be a lot like, make it to the NFL, this, that, one, you know, what's their... Chances of doing are very slim. Very slim. So how we address this issue? Well, we lowered the standards. We lowered the standards. And I'm talking about all up in the education world to the college world and we created softer degrees now I'm not really entirely against that so long as we don't lower the standards in the tough courses 
where meritocracy and pre-med are engineering You know, it doesn't bother me, as I've said, that the principal of Harvard, principal, the president of Harvard, the lady, Dr. Gay, plagiarized as much in her subject matter as it would if she had plagiarized in research for AIDS or research for multiple sclerosis or that would have been much more damaging. But it's happening. It's happening. I'm not saying the plagiarizing, but the encroachment of political ideology in the medical school Standards. And in some cases, it's driven the doctors away who got to where they are through meritocracy. They're retiring. Or I could give you an example, which I won't do, of just them pulling out of a local hospital completely. Because the administration that took over the hospital it's far too political. Now, I don't have the answer to any of this. I, you, you can't go back and install a father for every... You can't even do it for white homes. And the, and the, and the, and the syllogism here seems to be that you won't have a father, black father in a black home unless there's a job for the black father. And it won't be a job for the black father if the black father doesn't have an education. And that's where things get strange. Somehow, some way, we need to get race out of this. But what we've done is emphasize it more and turn everything into that. When I'm more and more convinced that what we need to do is get it out of all of our conversations. All of our conversations. Take a break for the weather right now. I'll be right back with Award Scott Files. Stay tuned. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. 
This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On-the-Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Ward's Weather brought to you by Lewis Oil, Chevron Stations. By golly, fossil fuel. God bless it. Well, a little nippy today. Pleasant, really. Very clear sky. Wonderful blue and a little bit of cloud here and there. Um, there are dangerous snow squalls, however, that are going to come across the Midwest to the Northeast. If you're into watching these football games now, you're allowed to see all kinds of weather. And it just goes with the time of year. And it's all part of the game. So um, hunker down. Apparently, not as much snow fell in one of my favorite ski places, Snowmass, as I thought might have. And um, maybe it went a little different places in the mountain range. But um, we're not looking at snow here. And no, I did not do the naked rain dance or the six inches of rain we got here over the weekend at uh, the compound. Manly Warthog Man Cave. Wow. I mean, it just, and thankfully, no lightning. And not a lot of wind. Some, but not a lot. Just rain. And yet I hear the aquifer is still not back to where it could be or should be. Well, if you have a comment, I'm looking here at the chat line. And... Uh, see a good friend of mine watching, Dana. We're talking now a little bit about something perhaps uh, is not solvable. Maybe not for another 25 years. Until 
the NC, NAACP, old generation of leaders, finally rides off into the sunset. There are lots of people who think they're the ones stirring up the old race card or political power and doing no good by doing it. Perhaps when that crowd, as I say, rides off into its last sunset, the young people will have no memory of it. And it won't mean a hoot to them. Judging by the people in our ads and all over our public life, it doesn't mean a hoot to them now. Everything is integrated seamlessly. Unless somebody's back there stirring it up. And every once in a while, you get a glimpse into that negativity that can corrupt the best intentions. There's a woman named Barbara Furlow Smiles. She ran the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion initiatives at Facebook from 2017 to 2021. She recruited former interns, babysitters, and a hairstylist for her crime spree. She was the top diversity, equity, and inclusion manager at Facebook. And she just pleaded guilty to embezzling millions from the social media company as part of a kickback scheme. Now, we've heard this story before. We add, we add it with a some sort of crime by black employees at this business and that business. And well, you're going to say, well, whites do it too. Yeah, but when you're you're going to draw more attention to yourself if you're one of the people involved in the black culture in some way. This woman diverted more than $4 million from Facebook by linking payment apps to her Facebook credit card and paying out charges to fake vendors. Wow. But she was there on behalf of diversity equity, and inclusion, right? Now, 
she didn't have any shortage of people who wanted to jump on the bandwagon with her. She had relatives involved. She had friends. She had interns from previous jobs. She had nannies. She had babysitters. She even had a college tutor. Well, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Maybe at some point it had maybe an honorable objective. But where did it go? How did it become the only thing you could believe in? The universities bought into it totally. The city governments bought into it here in Gainesville totally. But now, I want to use the word ironically. Ironically is the opposite of what you expect to be true. Ironically, because of the condemnation of Israel by the university culture, which has bent over backwards to make exceptions and protect the black culture, the transgender culture. I can't begin to count them all. What the universities have become has become what we pull the curtain back on. Once upon a time, America's greatest strength, Peggy Noonan observes, was its universities, particularly its so-called elite universities, such as Harvard. But now, because of their public indecisiveness and their vague answers about the genocide of Jews, the elite universities have become objects of intense scrutiny. But we knew it all along. If you go to Ward's Hot Bulletin Board, you will see the article about 
Really in a live video interruption? Are we getting that, Zach? <clears throat> Don't know if I'm alive right now or not. I think I am. I'm looking at my... But if you go to Ford's Hot Bulletin Board, you will see in 2021, I believe in January, I don't have the date, I don't have the article in front of me, we broke the story about the politicalization, the intrusion of ideology, ideology, into all places, the school of theater and dance. And the criticism of the dean of that school was that dance was featured from colonized countries or from countries that did the colonization, Europe. And by the way, all colonization was not the same. Different countries had different relationships with that which they colonized. Spain was notoriously brutal. Left nothing, took everything, left no middle class. England was a partner. The United States of America would be far different now if we had set out to gain our independence from Spain rather than England. Totally different. You want to take a look? Take a look at Mexico. The two countries were completely different, England and Spain, in their colonization practices. Yet now, because that story has not been investigated and researched and told honestly. We have situations where in the humanities departments of these universities, the academic positions center on race and gender of the applicant as well as the subject matter. So that a white man so writes Newton, studying the American presidency does not have a prayer of getting tenure at a major history department in America today. I know, I know this firsthand. The chair, I'm not going to mention the department. because you'll know who the guy is. Believes, because he said it to me and shocked me, 
that prophet is a bad word. Prophet? Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? I looked around. I didn't think we had a scholar. A real scholar. In the humanities or the letters as we call them. At the college. Maybe one or two. They were my buddies, but not many. And they certainly weren't hired for their open-mindedness. Tell you a little story. One time, I was out in an agricultural field. I won't tell you the product. I won't tell you where. But it was owned by the University of Florida. And as the chair of the Rural Concerns Advisory Committee, I was out there, invited to be out there, to study water and how water was related to the productivity of this field. There were a lot of people out there. There were professional writers covering this for magazines, photographers, And I was just over in on one corner, kind of leaning up against a wagon there. When this young man came up to me, whom I did not recognize, did not remember, I just thought it was him, because he'd grown older. Turned out he'd been one of my students. He'd grown older. I didn't recognize him. Now, this would probably have been at least five, six, seven, eight years left after he had been my student. He came up to me and he said, you may not remember me, but I want to tell you the reason I'm here now. And he was writing for this magazine. It's because of what you said to me one day. Well, you never know when what you're going to say really means anything, to whom it means something and how it means something, but you say these things anyway. And I had a word I used, sparingly. I only used that word when I felt the student I was teaching had really become one had really stopped worrying about his grade, what it might be, had really stopped worrying about what I thought and whether I agreed, and really started looking for the truth. This young man who was several years older, who came up to me, said, you don't remember this. But you came by me at my desk one day. And I was working on 
my paper. And you said something to the effect, what are you doing there, scholar? I remember saying that to this young man once he jogged my memory. I had been observing him. He had become something special in that class. I only use that word scholar or special moments and special students. I said, he said, I said, what are you doing there, scholar? He said that word applied to him was the first time anyone and ever referred to him as a scholar. And he said, at that moment, he realized he had to live up to it. Well, I'm thinking more of it. I know he got an A in the class. I know he was a really good student, did really good work. I never saw him again. Till years later in that field. Now I gotta tell you, that moment obviously meant a lot to him when he was my student. But it meant a lot to me, and in effect, he was still my student. He was still living up to those standards. He aspired to back then. Noonan thinks we have very few, if any, scholars in these universities anymore. Particularly in the world of letters, which is companies and companies a lot. The world of letters. It's been replaced by things like diversity, equity, and inclusion, or some other version of the Constitution. What reason? For what reason? It's certainly not going to be anything I wish I, I want that lad to come back and say to me years later in the field. So people are beginning to see. Of these universities. Some of them is tax insulated endowments. You know, we pay more taxes in Logical County because we excuse the taxes on the education institutions. So we carry more of the load. 
Or whom does that educational institution bring a greater return? Those who live in Gainesville, who are right around it and work at it, or those out in the country, or those on the east side. You got the answer. It matters to those who do the income tax returns for the university professors, uh, the uh, real estate agents who buy and sell houses for the professors. They, that's basically it. So that's my investigation so far into all started by that article in the Gainesville Sunset about that club at Gainesville High School that is trying to get black males interested in education. Tomorrow we'll have a wonderful Wednesday with our good buddy, Representative Ted Yoho. Ted Yoho texted me a little bit ago and said that for the first time since World War II, Germany is sending troops and they're sending them to the Ukraine. I'm sure you'll want to talk about that. Germany and Russia hate each other. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.